See, a theme this morning was victory in Jesus and power in the blood. I'm going to be in Romans chapter 6 today. Romans chapter 6. Did you know that back in the day, uh, let's say when this letter was going to be read, and I shared with the Sunday school class this morning, people didn't walk into church with leather-bound Bibles. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't. They didn't. So these letters meant a lot. Okay. You couldn't afford a Bible, and one that well, the New Testament was basically a bunch of letters right now, and still being put together. But you know, I guess you could say you had the, the Torah, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses and the law of Moses, which by the way, Jesus refers to a lot. So to have a, a good understanding, at least foundational understanding of the Old Testament is, is important to us. And it all points to Jesus. So when a letter like Romans, which is a fairly complicated letter, would show up at the door, people would fill the room and they would literally read it from beginning to end and it was meant to be read, read from beginning to end and, and, and Paul knew this as he laid out this road to salvation if you will if you know the salvation is a gift given to each of us an opportunity to turn from our sinful ways to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to follow him the rest of our lives, and not just make him our Savior, but our, our Lord as well. We just we made a, make a conscious decision to follow him, lordship. You see, because Satan even believes in Jesus, but he hasn't made him Lord. He doesn't follow Jesus. He doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, right? He's just the opposite. He's, 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 he's you know, the opposite. But salvation is such a gift. Wouldn't you want to know for sure how to obtain it, and we've been given a map. We talked about maps a couple of Sundays ago, a map of life, a journey of life, but this is a specific treasure map in Romans that lays out exactly what you need to do what you need to be saved. That's what Paul lays out in Romans. Romans chapter 1, he, there's greetings from him, and he, he makes the argument for sin and guilt and the judgment of sin. And they have to understand where sin comes from. Oftentimes people will say, well, you know, you tell me, Scott, that I need to be saved from my sins, but why? Well, be saved from, from, from what? We live in a naturalistic society and, and, and science is dominated and we tend to go back and, and, and base everything upon what you have to understand the generation below us understands and knows to be true and and. and, and Unlike some of us, they haven't been raised in a church. They haven't been raised with the knowledge of the Bible, with the Old Testament and the New Testament. They've been taught that evolution, science are the answers. And as such, people will reject some of our ideologies and our theologies. So it's often difficult to have a conversation with family and friends and to start off with, well, you need God. Why do I need God? God is irrelevant. 
I evolved. We're here because of a bunch of chemistry and, and biology and, and mistakes and repetition and all that, right? So God is an extra. We don't, we don't need God. Well, that's, that's where they've been lying to you for generations. Okay? We've gotten away from the Old Testament in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. We talked about the fall last week. Paul, and Paul talks about this. He's laying out. He says, well, you have to understand judgment. You have to understand sin, the guilt of sin, the judgment of sin. And he goes on into chapter 3 and starts talking out about the faithful. And he gets into a discussion about Abraham one of the, and, and Moses and, and the rest. And particularly Abraham. He makes them clear that even though we have the Abrahamic law and all the things that went with that, that Abraham was not saved by anything he did. It was saved by faith. It's always been about faith. It's never been about following a set of rules. It's always been about faith. So there was a question that was asked in Romans chapter one, uh, Romans chapter three, verse one. It says, what advantage then is there to being a Jew? In other words, you know, the Jewish people are the chosen people. And, you know, you just give us a set of laws. And we follow the laws to be like God. And what you're saying, Paul, is what, what advantage? Well, Paul answers that. He says, what, what advantage is it to being a Jew? Is there any value to being circumcised? And he explains that. In verse uh, 3 of chapter 3, says, True, some of them were unfaithful. But just because they were unfaithful does not mean God will be unfaithful. Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. And he goes on to explain that there are advantages. I mean, you had to choose somebody, and he chose this folks in the Middle East to introduce himself to the world and to use them to bring his word and his story of faithfulness and his story of Salvation. It's always been about faith. I was sharing with the Sunday school class this morning that Vani Bakum, as a pastor, he went to Israel, and while he was over there, he went to a hotel and to give us an example of how legalistic religion can be and Christianity can be in some areas. He says, I got on an elevator. The doors were already open. He says it was a Sabbat elevator. It was a, meant to be used on the Sabbath. It was a Sabbath elevator. And like so many other things, they have things set aside for the Sabbath, a day of worship, special silverware and dining uh, utensils and even food and water and all these things that can only be used on because they're following the law because the belief is if you follow the law, just, just don't sin and you'll make You'll be righteous. Don't sin and you'll be like God. Don't sin and you'll go to heaven. So when he gets on this elevator, made the mistake of getting on the elevator, the door's shut and he, he, he goes up a floor and the door's open and the door's shut. And he goes up a floor, the door's open, the door's shut. And he goes all the way up to the 15th floor. The door, every floor, the door's open and the door's shut. The door's open and the door's shut. And it, it was a reminder to him, don't use that elevator anymore. But the reason they do is so that on the Sabbath, those following the law don't have to push a button to open the door. They don't have to do any work. They don't have to sin. 
And he reminds, Paul reminds them in Romans chapter 3, God remains faithful and we are saved by faith, not by works. And then they say, well, what advantage is it then to be the Jew? And he explains that to them in chapter 3. And then on chapter 4, again, he, he goes into Abraham and Abraham's faith. And Abraham was not saved by his works, but was saved by faith. Then we get into chapter 5 and talks about how faith brings joy. And we listen, you're, you're sitting in, out there, you're listening to this letter. He's going in a very systematic way. So he gets all the way up to chapter 6 and he says, okay, therefore, and or well then, which often means in spite of and in lieu of everything that has just been said, I want you to think of this. Chapter 6 of Romans says, well then, should we just keep on sinning? Should we just keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Now, this is a question asked of, of, of Paul, obviously tongue-in-cheek, being serious. But we've been asked a similar question in today's generation. Oh, okay. So, and I know some of you have even said this about other denominations. Well, they can go out and do whatever they want. They're saying they go to church on Saturday night. They go to church on Sunday morning. They just got Christ. You can do whatever you want, right? You've heard that. And you know that not to be true. So there's that fine balance of, well, we're saved by grace. So then what difference does it make if I sin? Paul addresses this. He says, should we keep sinning? He says in verse two, he says, well, of course not. He says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? He says, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. I'm just going to pause there for a moment. The other thing about Romans is it's be taken literally, figuratively, and symbolically, and all at the same time. When he's talking about baptism here, he's talking symbolically, a spiritual baptism that takes place. I want you to be very clear. You've heard me say this from the pulpit before. You're not required to be baptized to be saved. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision. It has been made. It is symbolic of a significant event that has occurred in your life, a spiritual event that has taken place. Well, how do I know that? Simple. I'll give you several examples, but only one today, the man on the cross next to Jesus. Did he have a chance to be baptized? No. Did he have a chance to go to church? No. Did he have a chance to do anything other than say, remember me? It's never by anything that we physically do, okay, to enter into God's righteousness. It's always been by faith. And then the part that we're going to get into is that, okay, we're saved by faith, but doggone it. I keep sinning. Why do I keep sinning? Because the reality of it is, folks, whether you're saved or not, you're very capable of sinning. The ability to sin does not go away. But the need to sin does. You don't have to sin. You, you, don't, you don't have to make Bad choices. You can choose to make righteous choices. Occasionally, we're going to mess up. And yeah, we could talk about the sins that are intentional and unintentional. I'm not talking about that. I mean, the reality of it is we all sin and we're going to continue to sin. But that's not an excuse to go out and continue to purposely 
intentionally sin so that God's grace can cover you. I, I tell you something, if that's your attitude, if that, that's, you're probably not saved. If your attitude is, I can do whatever I want, and, it, and, and I know people like that. And I would question their salvation. I don't question somebody's salvation when they, they sin and repent and turn from that. You know, uh, yesterday I was talking to Julie about something. I made a snide remark about somebody's mechanical abilities, and I shouldn't have. And a couple hours later I said to her, I'm, I'm really sorry for what I said about so-and-so. And she said, it's okay. So two things happened there. One, I repented of it. Two, she actually remembered it, so it must have been something significant. But it wasn't. I didn't murder the guy. I didn't, I didn't I commit adultery. I didn't do any of those things. I just had a bad work. But unintentionally I said something about something I shouldn't have said. I, I sinned, right? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because that sinful nature is still within us. It's very capable. And Paul's addressing this group of people, say whether you're Jew, Gentile, <coughs> whatever. You are very capable of sinning. She says, but don't forget that as Christ was baptized unto death and raised to resurrection, raised to life, you were too. And again, he's not talking about the actual baptism, but spiritual baptism. The actual, for example, okay, when I was baptized in Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church when I was 23 years old, I remember that day being baptized. Now, at that moment that I went through the baptism was not the moment that I was saved. The actual salvation moment took place prior to that. I remember praying with the pastor in his study and receiving the Holy Spirit and having that power of, of I've been transformed. Uh, I did for a moment feel the, you know, the, the hair on the back of my neck stand up, whatever. Everybody has a different experience, but it was at that moment that I decided, I decided... I was a sinner. I agreed with God. I said, would you forgive me of that? And I accepted his son. And immediately for, I remember days, beat high on that, just walking on that, you know. You know that's why we're supposed to remember. We're supposed to remember, recall our salvation, recall those events. So I tell you that because when I got baptized, it wasn't actually when I got saved. And I shared with the Sunday school class this morning again because it's all the same uh, parts of scripture we're talking about. When you get uh, your degree from high school or college, that's just a ceremony. It's not at that moment when you're, you're seated and then they have you stand and turn your tassel over to the other side and they shake your hand and they clap and all that. that you know, that's the ceremony. That's the day you graduated. That's the day you became you know, a, a, a citizen or an adult or whatever, no longer in... in you know, in school, you become an alumni. And when I tell people to the day, when did you graduate from Illinois College? I, if I don't remember the date, I look at my diploma, hang it someplace, and I say, on this day, well, that, that day happens to be the day of that ceremony. That's what I tell people. That's when I graduated. So I become an alumni. But the reality of it is, when I actually graduated, I actually became qualified to get that degree was, was several days before that, whatever the last test was I took, and I passed it, and it got my final grades. That's when I actually became an alumni. But that's not what we tell people. So baptism shouldn't be, well, and I'm so, I suppose there are situations where people get saved at the baptism, but you shouldn't be being baptized until you're saved. Honestly, you get baptized to show people of an inward decision that has been made as an outward expression of your faith. That's what baptism is. 
So he tells us, and that's why he's using here, Christ being baptism. He says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Oftentimes when I baptize people, I say, you've been buried with Christ, and you've been raised to walk in newness of life with him. You've been buried with Christ, you've been raised to walk in newness of life with him. Oftentimes we forget about being raised to walk in newness of life. Remember, I was buried with Christ. He took care of my sin. Now we have a responsibility. To walk in newness of life. That means, it still doesn't mean you're saved by works. No, 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 no. But what it says is, because of what God did for us, humbly, I want to love God and express my love by walking in his his ways. And that's called sanctification. Becoming more like Christ. And then Paul goes on to explain, okay, all right, okay, verse 5, Romans chapter 6, he says, Since we have been united with him, with who? Jesus. In his death, there you go. So we understand that we've been united with Jesus in his death. We've died to self. We've recognized that we're sinners. We've gotten beyond the question of, why do I need to to be saved? We recognize we're a sinner. That's a big hurdle for a lot of people. That was a big hurdle for me. Sinner, I, I didn't murder anybody. I haven't stolen anything. I, I've always done what my parents told me. I've done that. I mean, I might have done some little things. You know, I, you know, then I realized, oh, if I've looked at a woman with lust, I've committed adultery. If I've had thoughts towards a neighbor or a friend, I've committed murder or, or gossiped and, and, and just destroyed people's personalities. <clears throat> There's all kinds of things. I've did. Have I dishonored God at times and not put him first? Yeah, pretty much all the time, yeah. And I go, oh. So in that, I recognize, and he says, you have been united with him in his death, but we also must be raised to life with him. He says in verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves, and your translation may say the old man. The old man. I love that. It's old, it's gone, it's no longer there, you're no longer subject to it. He says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Notice it, my translation, the New Living Translation says, Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Sin does not always lose its power in our lives. I am very capable of sinning. I'm very capable of having negative thoughts towards people who do me wrong. I'm a human being. I'm a natural person. Just because I'm a pastor and I've been ordained to do this doesn't mean that I don't, you know, that's the thing that I see sometimes with televangelists and pastors. go, oh, they're so, no, no, listen, listen. They're normal just like you and I. They have their get up every morning and they live their lives and they have confrontations and they have bills to pay and they got dogs to feed and garbage to take out, you know. And things happen. So he said we died. He died so that we might lose its power in our lives to sin, but but we don't. It's there. So he tries to differentiate this very difficult theological concept, which actually is really simple, but also very deep. He says we are no longer slaves to sin. Slaves is a strong word. We don't like that word. We don't want to be a slave to anybody or anything. I got news for you. We talked about slavery in the past. 
I'm not so sure going to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week for a paycheck and have to get up at a certain time, have to do this, have to do that, isn't equivalent to slavery at, at some point in time. It's always about paying the bills. If you don't pay your bills, I'm going to shut off your electricity. If you don't pay your bills, I'm going to shut off your TV. They don't show up, I'm not going to pay you. I mean, it's, 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 we're, we're, in, we're enslaved to something. And I know it's not to the level that we're talking about when we think of slavery, but like sin, it says, you're no longer bound by sin. Are you capable of it? Yep. But when you have received Christ, when you've turned from your sin, your old ways, and said, I desire to follow Christ, Christ, the Holy Spirit's going to do everything he can to help you. He's your comforter, he's your helper, he's your advocate. Will we let him? He's going to do everything he can to help us in this walk that we're still very capable of Sinning, but I'm no longer bound to sin. I don't have to sin. I can choose to do good. Put it in layman's terms. I can choose to do good. Now, why did I pick this sermon? Because in my mind, I asked myself, well, non-Christians do good. Non-Christians make good decisions. Christians make good decisions, and Christians make bad decisions. What's this all about? Listen, moral accountability is not reserved for just Christians. All of creation was made and in the likeness, man and woman, of God himself. We have a moral compass built in, whether you're a Christian or not. It's a moral compass. There's an absolute truth, an absolute right and wrong. The Bible constantly reminds us that there is no excuse that everybody somewhere understands there is a God. We're without excuse. The moral compass that we all have, whether you're a Christian or not, leads us in a direction to make right and wrong decisions. Irrelevant. It's irrelevant. The issue is, do you recognize that you're a sinner? What's that mean? To do something against God's divine plan or his will. Go against God. So when we talked about Genesis and the fall last Sunday or the Sunday before, we explained that in the Garden of Eden, all was made by God was good. It was all good. Then the serpent came along, had a conversation, talked about that. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we forget that that tree was not just a knowledge of good, but it was a knowledge of evil as well. And they ate of the tree. And just like that, death entered. Spiritual death, separation from God. Why? Because they violated God's... Just, it doesn't matter what the rule was. It doesn't matter what the fruit was. It's just they did what God didn't want them to do. God said, don't do this. It was a command. And they did it. They broke the law. And as, as, as a result of that, death and sin entered. Spiritual death and physical death. And because we are related to Adam and Eve, our original mommy and daddies, we all inherit that spiritual death. The Bible tells us, no, not one is righteous. It says, we all were born into iniquity. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he says, so, verse 7, when... We died with Christ. Okay? When we died with Christ, 
we were set free from the power of sin. Not set free from sin, but set free from the power of sin. Because you've received Jesus Christ, you now have a right, a righteousness, you now have a right to be seen by God as righteous and to enter into his kingdom. Now that you've received Christ, you have a right, or you're righteous, seen as holy. But until you do that, until you receive Christ, until you repent of your sin and turn to him, you don't have that option. Does that make sense? You, you don't, you don't, that option is off the table. The option of following Christ is off the table if you've not received him. So therefore, the only thing you can do is against God. Even, even non-Christians that do great things, that's fine, but they're always, always for oftentimes selfish reasons and self-gain. Now, do Christians do things for self reason and self-gain? Yes, but that's sin. We know that. We receive that. We're not subject to that. And God has forgiven us of that. That's no excuse to keep on sinning. That's, that's, it gets deep, I know. All right. So, in verse 8, I highlighted it here, and it says, and since we died with Christ, there's that, that, that symbolic, since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Okay. So we receive, we understand Jesus died for us and he was resurrected. We understand we've been buried with him and been raised to newness in life. He says, we know that we also live with him. Do you? Do we know that? There is effort in living with Christ. There is an effort that has to be made. You, you have that choice now moving forward. You can choose to live and honor God and glorify God in all that you do or you can choose not to. God is a real gentleman. If you still want to go to hell, he'll let you go. God's not going to force you to love him. God's not going to force you to do anything. But we have an obligation that when we're buried with Christ and raised with him to walk in newness of life, to indeed make an effort that when we die with Christ, we also live with him. And we forget that sometimes. So all the glamour and glitch you might see in some larger churches, even some smaller churches, the music and the entourage and trying to get people to come to church and trying to entertain people. I get that. I understand that. But if people have forgotten about the holiness of God and the divinity of God and how big God is and who he is and what he represents and what he did for us. And that to be in the presence of God, a sinless God, to be in his presence and have sin in our lives is not possible without death. So Jesus came along and says, listen, I'll, 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 I'll be the substitutionary death. I'll die for you so that you can spend eternity with me, with the Father. And that's exactly what he did. So it says in verse 9, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. So Christ only died once. He's not dying again. He died. That was enough. Trust me. That was, was a tough day for him. That was a tough life experience. He says, I'm not dying again. He says, he died once. And he will never die again. So therefore, death no longer has any power over him. Or death no longer has any dominion over him. Death does not have any power over Christ. That's a great gift. That's something I want to know about. Listen, if you've received Christ, death no longer has any power over you. Sin no longer has any power over you. Are you capable of sinning? Yes. Will you die? Yes. But it doesn't stop there. That's not all there is to life, folks. Verse 10, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, now that you live, he lives for the glory of God. 
You live for the glory of God. We are to live for the glory of God. I really believe that if we made an effort to live for the glory of God with everything we said, everything we thought, with every action that we made, when we walk out these doors today, your lives would be transformed. Not that you would be any more or less saved, but your lives would be transformed. God didn't just come to save us, but he came to give us life, and life more abundantly. To truly live life. Who's life? Jesus is life. He's the source of life. He's the source of light. He's the source of everything. So in your mundane, routine, regular, boring old days, can you remember to remind yourself to glorify God? Remember the day that you gave your life to Christ. And if you haven't, then now's the time. No, there, there's no waiting. Man is appointed to die but wants to be judged. There's a lot of people that are on the other side right now, unfortunately. If they could get your attention, they would. Please believe the pastor. Please believe the word of God. Please believe what you're hearing. There is Jesus. It does exist. Because one day, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The living and the dead. We all face that. But God has given us an opportunity now to receive him. Will you do that? This is powerful words. Death no longer has any power over you. No power. I don't want, I mean, I'm afraid of death. I'm, I'm more afraid of the process of death than I am death, right? I mean, it's natural, but listen, don't let that run your life. Somewhere on a calendar someplace, Scott, Scott Ketchum's name, this is the day that I shall pass from this life to the next. And you're not going to do that. And I ain't going to worry Now, I'll do some things to clean my life up. I'll wear my seatbelt and listen to my wife more often. But once that day comes, it comes. Live your life for the glory of God. Put a smile on today. I know he's, he died once for you. For you. He didn't just die for you. He lived for you. He said, live for me. Live for Christ. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your, your son Jesus. And may we just be humble to, to recognize the magnitude of the gift that you have given to us. And it's the way you've orchestrated life in general, and the way you've designed it, Lord, for all intents and purposes, and all with a plan. You're a great sovereign, Lord God. We thank you for all that you're providing, all that you're doing, Lord. And I pray if there's even one listening that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would convict them, they would repent of their sin, and turn to your Son, Jesus Christ, and begin to walk in righteousness with Him. And then help us, Lord. Help them when they do sin. If you'll join me in our final hymn, what number is it? 498, 498.